I, uh, I wonder how you go under pressure. How do you go in one of those testing high pressure sort of moments? Do you freeze? Uh, maybe it brings the best out of you. I, uh, I used to play club table tennis. Uh, you know, I was pretty good. Uh, I always found that I looked forward most to those really deep, intense games. You know, the tournament final, uh, the grand final, the end of the season. Those, those games when you know there'd be lots of people watching and the pressure would be on. Yeah, I'm talking hills club table tennis, and when I say there's lots of people watching, it's like four. Um, but I always found that in those big games, when there was the most pressure, I get a surge of adrenaline, and that would be when I would play at my best. I wonder how you go when the pressure is on. Of course, often we don't know how, how we're going to go in one of those high-pressure moments um, until we're right in the middle of it, do we? But uh, and perhaps it depends on the type of situation that it is. I know... For me, and I did okay when the pressure was on in table tennis, but um, so a different example, academically, uh, when I've been studying, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough, I'm pretty good academically, but um, I never was very good at that end of semester exam. Um, that never brought the best out of me. You know, I, I did an engineering degree back in the day, uh, and I remember my very first engineering exam. I was nervous, uh, not sure how I was going to go. Uh, I remember the pressure getting to me. I, I think I... I took the wrong turn on the way and I turned, ended up being late to the exam and then I, I'd forgotten my calculator so I was just all, um, I was crumbling under the pressure and I didn't do very well. I think I failed and had to do one of those sub-exams to make it up. I'd much prefer those assignments and those essays during semester any day than those high pressure exams right at the end of the semester when everything uh, from six months is all on that uh, couple of hours. How well do you go in those high pressure situations? How well do you go when you're put to the test like that? Well, we might not relish those sorts of situations. We might not love the idea of being tested. But I think uh, we also understand that sometimes we do need to be tested. Uh, you know, there's only so long you can play table tennis, you know, just hitting the ball back and forth with someone. Eventually, you need to play a match and see who's better. Put it to the test. And, you know, exams, you know, maybe they're not the best, you know, actually, way of testing whether someone has what it takes to be an engineer. But... You do, we do want our engineers to be tested, don't we? You know, you want to know that an engineer knows what they're doing before you're going to drive across a bridge that they've built, don't you? And so times of testing, those high-pressure moments, well, they do reveal truth to us. They do show us whether we've got what it takes, whether we're ready. Well, today, we're going to be looking at how Jesus' disciples went when their faith in Jesus was put to the test. We've been looking all this term at what happened when Jesus came to Jerusalem. And there's been lots of talk, you know, there's been lots of talk about who Jesus is, lots of arguments in the temple, lots of talk about what it means to follow Jesus. But all that talk, in some ways, talk is just talk. We've now come to the moment. It's a fateful night, a night of trials, a night when Jesus is going to be put on trial, a night when Jesus' followers are going to be put to the test. We're going to see whether they have what it takes when the pressure is on. How do you go in those high-pressure moments, those moments of testing? How do you go in those moments when your faith is put to the test? Maybe if you're sitting around with neighbours and the topic of religion comes up, do you, do you think, great, okay, let's, let's take this chance to talk about Jesus, or would you rather just retreat and kind of crumble away and just re- remove yourself from the conversation? How do you go when somebody at the office maybe... Um, brings up something about Christianity? How do you go when you're in one of those high-pressure moments 
And maybe temptation is coming to make a choice that Jesus wouldn't want you to make. Can you follow Jesus in that moment? Can you make that choice? I wonder, um, I was reading about Christians in different parts of the world this week. I wonder how would you would go if um, you found yourself in a different part of the world where Christianity is illegal. Would you be able to stand for Jesus under that sort of pressure? How would you go if your faith was put to the test? Well, I don't know how you feel being asked that question. You know, maybe some of us are not feeling particularly confident that we would go well if our faith was put under that sort of pressure. And I do want to say that if that is how you're feeling, well, this morning you're in good company. As we've seen in our reading, as we've heard in our kids' talk, um, Peter, one of the apostles this morning, fails to stand up for Jesus when the pressure comes. And the rest of the disciples don't do much better. And in fact, we're going to see today that there are a number of tests in today's passage. I think there's, there's three that I particularly want us to notice together. And these are our three points of today. It's Peter's test, the disciples' test, and Jesus' test. And as we look at these today, I want to see that however we feel about our ability to trust Jesus in those high-pressure moments, there is great reassurance for all of, the, all of us in coming back and looking to Jesus. So Peter's test, the disciples' test, Jesus' test. Let's jump into the passage again. I've, I've read it out, but let's, uh, let's get our bearings again and let's just try and work out what's going on in the passage. And if you did open up the passage in your Bible or your phone, do, uh, do keep it open. We're in Luke 22. And as I said before, we've just had the Last Supper. Uh, we looked at that together a couple of weeks ago. Jesus has told his disciples that he's going to die. He's told his disciples that his death is going to be the moment, actually, where his kingdom is established. And verse 24, the disciples, they're excited that kind of the time has come for Jesus' kingdom, but they still don't really seem to get it. Um, so they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest and have the most power. Thanks, Caleb, for putting that up for us. Um, let's just read this part again. A dispute arose among them as to who was going to be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying that his kingdom, his new kingdom, that's just being established, well, it's going to be a bit back to front. It's not going to be about the powerful. He's not going to be the sort of king who lords it over his subjects. In Jesus' kingdom, in this new kingdom, greatness is found in humility and in service. And this is a warning for the disciples because they keep talking about you know, whether Jesus' kingdom is going to bring them success or comfort or power. And if they think that this is what they're in for, well, they're following the wrong guy. Their test is whether they can follow the way of Jesus, the way of service. And if we go on now, Caleb, um, in verse 31, Jesus sort of finishes talking about this and he turns to Peter and he says, uh, by the way, Simon, Simon and Peter are the same guy. It's, he's got two names, Simon Peter. And Peter is sort of the leader of the apostles, so he's sort of the, he's sort of the dude. Um, and Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Satan's asked you to sift you as wheat. If I said that to you um, after church today, you'd, you'd think I was a bit strange. But um, what the image is kind of bringing to mind is uh, apparently back in that day, they would take their wheat and they'd get a big sift and, you know, you'd shake it around. Um, and what you do, you kind of get rid of the dirt and the husks and all the sort of rubbish in the wheat. 
and you'd be left with, you know, the good stuff. You'd, you'd kind of actually work out uh, what the wheat's really made of. And this is Jesus saying to Peter, that that's, gonna, that's what's going to happen to him. Satan wants to shake Peter up a bit and work out what Peter's really made of. Does he really actually have what it takes to stand up for Jesus when the going gets tough? Or is Peter all talk? I think Satan has an inkling that these disciples might be a bit soft uh, when they're put under pressure. But Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus has prayed for Simon. He's prayed for Peter's faith. He's prayed that his faith won't fail. But actually, he seems to know that what's going to happen because he says, well, you know, when you turn back, he kind of seems to know that Peter's going to crumble under the pressure. But he says, even when that happens, turn back, turn back to me, come back to Jesus and strengthen your brothers. Uh, the first question I asked you this morning was, how do you go in those high pressure moments? How do you go when you're put to the test? Well, with Jesus, it's not so much actually about how you go in those moments. It's not so much how you go when the pressure comes on. The test really is, do you come back to him after those moments when you've let him down? But Peter, if we just go into the next one, um, thanks, Caleb. Peter, well, if he was here this morning when I asked, you know, how do you go in those high-pressure moments? You know, Peter's one of those guys who's very confident. He'd probably actually put up his hand and say, oh, I'd be fine with that. I'm high-pressure Peter, you know. This is what I live for. And he's a bit taken aback when Jesus says uh, that Peter will need to turn back. He says... He's not going to turn away in the first place. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's not going to, he's not going to let Jesus down. Jesus, I've got this. I'm with you. I'm your guy. I, when the pressure comes, I'm ready for this. But verse 34, Jesus knows the truth. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you know me. And as we've heard in our kids' talk and as we've had read out, that is what ends up happening, isn't it? Jesus does get arrested. Things go south. Pretty quickly the pressure comes. And well, Peter, he finds that he just doesn't have the guts to link himself to Jesus. Even a, you know, the first one, it's just a, a servant girl. Not to, not to devalue the servant girl, but even a servant girl, Peter's too afraid to say that he knows Jesus. And then a second person, he says the same thing. I don't know this Jesus guy. And then the third one, I notice in the third one, when Peter denies, denies Jesus the third time, it's an hour later. You sort of think over that hour, you know, Peter's saying, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I need to, you know, pull myself together here. But no, even after an hour, even after he's had time to think about it, he again, he says, no, no, I don't, I don't know this Jesus. Peter had all the talk. He was very confident. But when the pressure came, he crumbled. It does remind me a little bit of that exam when I stressed out and turned away and forgot my calculator. It was just a total blunder. Peter has just absolutely bottled his test. Now, um, I just want to ask a question that I find interesting about this little part of the Bible. I, I don't know if you find this um, question interesting. Um, it's a familiar passage. We've, we've probably most of us have heard it before about Peter. Um, he had plenty of talk, but when the pressure came, he crumbled. Um, my question is this. Why do we have this story in the Bible? How do we get to the point where they put this in the Bible? And the reason I ask that question is that um, all four Gospels put this story in. Uh, Mark's Gospel, which was probably the Gospel that Peter um, sort of helped to put together. Um, Mark's Gospel has it there. And it doesn't read to me like anyone would have overheard what was going on. So it's not like anyone would have been there writing down what was happening. You know, 
oh, Peter just denied Jesus. I'm just going to write that down so future generations all know about this. I think the only way we would have got this story is if Peter himself uh, decided to tell people about this. It would have been much better for Peter's credibility, though, of course, if he just kept this story to himself, if he hadn't ever told anyone. And certainly as they were writing the Gospels, if you were trying to sort of put together a fake account and make things look, you know, make things look good, well, you certainly would never put, you would never put that story in, would you? If it, was a, if it was a bunch of stories that the disciples got together and just made up, you wouldn't expect stories like that to be in there. But why do we have this story? Well, to me, there's only one explanation. It's, it's firstly that this isn't a fabrication. This is just what happened. And it's here because Peter, probably when he was sitting down telling the story over years and years, probably told it many, many times. He probably told it to Mark, who, who wrote it down as part of Mark's gospel. Peter wanted us to know. He wanted us to know that when the pressure came, that he failed. He wanted the story written down for future generations. He wanted a couple of thousand years later people to still know the story of the day where he crumbled. And so you might ask, well, why does Peter actually want us to know this story? Well, I think it's because Peter knows that actually this is what all of us are like. You know, that we might be confident of our faith. We might be a bit like Peter. You know, we sort of, we say, whatever happens, I'm going to stand with Jesus. Whatever temptation comes my way, I'm going to stick with him. <coughs> and lots of us, lots of the time, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we do actually respond with godliness and we do do well under the pressure and we do honour Jesus um, with our choices. I'm sure lots of people here today in our church family um, can give us lots of examples of following Jesus in good times and in harder times. But Peter wants us to know too that when the pressure comes, when the pressure comes at the wrong time and we're feeling stressed or tired or just not out of, just not feeling it, well, all of us actually will have times when, you know, if the right, wrong pressure comes and we're not, we're tired, whatever it is, at some point temptation will get the better of us and we will crumble under the pressure. It might be when we're, you know, out late at the office party and we're just, we're not in the mood to stand up for Jesus that night. You know, it might be when we're, tired and stressed and we're in front of our computer screen and we don't make choices that are going uh, to honour Jesus that night. It might be when we're sitting around at lunch with our neighbours and a chance comes up to talk about Jesus and we're just, we're just not feeling it that day. We just move the conversation along. As much as we trust Jesus and we might have faith, you know, we're also all full of human weakness. And like Peter, there will be times when the pressure gets the better of us and we don't respond well. And we don't choose to trust Jesus in those moments. And Peter, you know, he wanted us to know this story. He doesn't want to be the guy who pretends that he's strong, perfect, you know, never gets it wrong. And it's good if we don't pretend to be that person either. You know, lots of the time our lives might be great examples of how to follow Jesus, but we shouldn't pretend that we've got it all figured out, that we've got it all together. We shouldn't pretend that we, we don't sometimes let him down as well. This has come up a few times, I think, over the past few weeks during this series. Uh, how are you going at being open about your weakness? Is there part of you that's trying to show everybody that you've got it all together? Or, or can you be like Peter? Can you be the guy who's open, honest, and happy to actually share about the times when you've let Jesus down? Are you able to go to people you trust, maybe a growth group, say, and be honest about where you're really at? Well, Peter... He had his chance, he was tested, and he was confident, but when the pressure came, he crumbled. 
his weakness was revealed. And if you just bring up our outline again, Caleb, the next one, thank you. Um, two more tests to look together. Next, let's have a look at the disciples and the test that they have in the passage today. Because really the disciples are tested as well um, in lots of different ways. And really one of the tests for them is the question, will they do things Jesus' way? Jesus has told the disciples again and again and again that uh, his way is the way of humility, his way is the way of service, his way is the way of sacrifice. And Jesus has spoken about this again and again and again. He, he talked about it again at the start of our passage today, you know, talking about those Gentile kings and not being like those. But the disciples, they keep trying to do things the way of the world. They keep going for the way of violence, the way of power. Now, if we bring these verses up, uh, Caleb, starting from verse 35, uh, Jesus, Jesus says it here. He says, uh, When I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And then he said to them, But now if you have the purse, take it. And also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. That is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. I told you, tell you, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfilment. Jesus is saying that the times are changing. That actually people up until this point have been kind of supporting Jesus. Jesus has been popular and they've been giving him food and giving the disciples food and he hasn't, they haven't needed to take any supplies with them because lots of people will supply their needs. Um, but it's all changing. Everything's now going to be, everyone's now going to be against Jesus and his disciples. He puts it there. He, he's he's going to be numbered with the transgressors. He's going to be counted as a criminal. No one's going to want to associate themselves with Jesus anymore. And so Jesus talks about that stuff like the swords and I think he was talking in a more of a figurative way. Um, he's saying, you know, this is, the, this is going to be the mood now. Uh, but the disciples, they, they, they still just, they just can't get this through their heads. They don't get it. Um, in verse 38, uh, I think we can flip forward, Caleb, they say, uh, Lord, here are two swords. They, you know, go out to the cupboard and they find a couple of swords. And Jesus says, no, that's enough. And he says a similar thing later in the passage when they actually do, then use those swords to try and attack some of the temple guards. Jesus is saying, no, no. This is not what I'm talking about. You don't get what I'm talking about here. And Jesus rebukes them. And later in the passage, he'll rebuke them again and he'll heal that man's ear. They keep failing the test. They, they keep missing what Jesus is saying. They don't go for Jesus' way. They go the way of the world. They go the way of violence. And there's another little test in here that they fail as well. I think it's um, connected. It's um, it's in the garden. If we flip to the bit in the garden, I think yep, Caleb, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And when it comes to things like the physical threats and getting the swords, you know, the disciples are really keen for all that sort of stuff. They're ready. They're ready to fight. Um, but actually, here's a different test. You know, Jesus says, well, here's the test. Will you actually pay attention to what really matters? Will you pay attention to the real threat? Jesus knows that actually the real battle here is a spiritual one. Will you pray that you won't fall into temptation? He knows that Satan's involved here. Satan's trying to bring him down. Satan's trying to bring the disciples down. He wants them to actually worry about the things that are really important. But again, the disciples don't come through. Rather than pray, they just fall asleep. So there's lots of, um, there's lots of Jesus followers just not really coming off very well today, isn't there? None of them are particularly... Um, holding their heads high. Uh, but in the middle of it, there is one more I want to talk about. And um, that person that I think we do need to talk about for a few minutes is Judas. I'm sure um, 
As I say, the name Judas, we, we're all familiar with that name and that character. He actually is only a pretty minor character in the story. You don't actually hear much about Judas. Um, but at the same time, he, he goes on to become one of the most infamous characters in all of the Bible. So much so that, of course, when we think of the name Judas, even today, even you don't have to be a Christian to think this, if someone calls you a Judas, you know exactly what it means. Betrayal. Verse 47, we flip forward. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him, leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? We've seen today how all the disciples actually have all done a pretty crummy job. They've all um, let Jesus down in different ways. Uh, but there is something different, isn't there, about Judas? You know, the other disciples, they've had their moments of weakness, but Judas has deliberately and carefully planned to bring Jesus down. Uh, and yet in some ways, Jesus is just, just like the others too, isn't he? You know, he had his test. All the other disciples failed their tests. Je- uh, Judas had a, had a test. He had a, a choice between Jesus and money. He was offered money to betray Jesus. That was back earlier in the chapter. And money and the temp- temptation for money, well, he got the better of Judas. It's interesting to trace Judas' story through the Gospels. Um, You might be familiar with a story in John chapter 12. Um, There's a lady called Mary who pours expensive perfume onto Jesus' feet. And if you remember, there's a little detail. Judas is there and he's really annoyed that they um, have wasted all this perfume because it's worth lots of money. And there's a little comment. It said, actually, Judas, he was looking after the money and actually he he was in the habit of skimming a little bit off the top for him, taking a bit off the side. So, you know, money has always been Judas' issue. And when the test finally comes, Jesus or money, or Judas decides to hand Jesus over to the authorities just to get a bit more cash. You know, sometimes we think of just uh, a sin as just a little bit of sin. You know, it's just, I just struggle a little bit with greed. I'm just not as generous as I should be. But, you know, it's just a little thing. Uh, Judah's story is a warning to us about the danger of sin. It, it can start as small things, lots of little things. And those little things like, like money or, or other things, you know, they can add up and they can tempt us. And Satan, he, he wants to bring us down. He can tempt us more and more and more by those things. And we can, if we're not careful, we can let those things get the better of us. We can get to the point where actually we decide to turn away from Jesus because we're so in love with those things that we've been indulging. Like Peter crumbled under the pressure, like the other disciples crumbled under the pressure, Judas as well fails his test, doesn't he? I think a good question to ask, well, is, is Judas actually any worse than the rest of them? I mean, maybe he is in some ways. He does seem to be a lot more deliberate and careful and planning in his uh, letting Jesus down. But they, but they all let Jesus down. I certainly don't think it was too late for Judas. If he'd come back even after betraying Jesus and come back like, like Peter ended up coming back and came back to Jesus and repented. I think Jesus, Judas could have come back too if he wanted to. But to talk about that, we need to talk about our final point, our final test, which is Jesus' test. If we put that, put that one more time, Caleb. You see, right in the middle of all the other testing today, there's one, uh, one final test. Jesus has his, his test too. Um, there's sort of a, it's a bit of just a, a, a academic sort of detail um, but the passage we've looked at today, if you just you look how carefully structured it is, it starts 
with Peter. It talks about Peter's test and then at the end you have Peter failing his test. And then kind of in the middle of that you get the disciples. They've, they've sort of given a test and they fail their test. Uh, and then right in the middle of Peter's test and the disciples' test, right in the middle you have Jesus. He's in the garden, he's in anguish, and right in the middle of the passage, he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And the cup here is referring to the judgment of God. It's going to be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus is in anguish. He knows what he's about to go through. And he wants, he wants God to take the cup away. And he could, have, he could have decided not to go through with the cross, not go through with bearing the judgment of God. He could have run away from the city. He could have not gone to the Mount Mount of Olives where he knew that he'd be captured. He could have called down angels to defend him. But what does he do? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' test is very simple. Will he do the will of the Father? And whereas Peter and the disciples, you know, they all let God down. Right in the middle, you have Jesus faithfully doing the Father's will. Jesus is totally aware of the pain he's about to endure. He knows the spot that he's in. And he chooses to go through with the cross. He chooses to die. And not just in a sort of like, ah, let's just give it a go sort of way. He endures the cross. He knows exactly what he's in store for. I don't know if you can think of a situation where you've deliberately chosen to undergo pain. I was just thinking of a stupid example from myself a couple of weeks ago. Um, I spent a couple of days down in Tasmania and um, I was spending time with a friend and I really wanted to do this walk, uh, just this little walk up to a lookout. Um, And the friend friend I was with, he didn't really want to do it. Um, We only sort of had this couple of hours free one morning where I could go and do this walk. And my friend was saying, oh no, look, it's going to take too long. It's going to take at least a couple of hours to do this walk. We're not going to have time. Um, but I really wanted to do it, you know, I didn't want to go all the way to Tasmania and not do a walk. So, um, And of course my friend had just told me that I couldn't do it, so you know, that was the very thing that I needed to motivate me. And I knew going up this steep walk, up this quite steep hill was going to be painful, but I knew that I, I could do it. And so I pushed through knowing that I'd experienced that pain, and I just kept going. And well, a very powerful motivation for me, obviously, is wanting to prove my friend wrong. It's a sort of strong motivation that, you know, I, I need to push through pain. And if I don't mind saying, I did the walk in about 45 minutes. I did, I did show him what I could do. Well, Jesus, Jesus endured the pain of the cross, infinitely more pain than I've ever known. And he chose to do it. He chose to do it because he was deeply motivated. He endured the cross because his motivation was his love for us, his love for his people. You see, Jesus loved Peter. He knew perfectly well that Peter was going to let him down. So he went through with the cross. He died for Peter. And he loved his disciples. He knew perfectly well that they were all going to let him down. So he chose to die for his disciples. And he also loves us. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we'll let him down sometimes. He knows that when the pressure comes onto us, that some of the time we're not going to choose to live for him. And so he chose, he was motivated to endure the cross out of love for us. And in his death, God's judgment, the cup was poured out. Judgment was satisfied. Judgment is done. It's done with. And that means in Jesus' death, there is forgiveness. In Jesus' death, there is the way back. Because, you know, Peter, he did let Jesus down, but he did 
come back to Jesus for forgiveness. And the disciples, yeah, they did let Jesus down, but they definitely came back to Jesus for forgiveness too. And of course, the tragedy of Judah's story is that Judas, well, Judas let Jesus down and he didn't choose to come back. He chose to bear the consequences for his sin all on his own. Sometimes when we read these uh, passages about Jesus, um, sometimes the application for us as we think about why it matters, sometimes the application for us is to be like Jesus. But I think sometimes it's also not that. I I don't think today that's what we should say about this passage. Yeah, I think Jesus is our example, but um, today he's less our example and more more that Jesus is our saviour. Because in today's passage, I think our example is Peter. I think our example is those disciples. Because like us, they were weak. Like us, sometimes when the pressure comes, they crumbled. And it's good if we can stand for Jesus under pressure. You know, lots of Christians through the centuries have stood up in all sorts of ways for Jesus under immense pressure. But the key for us today is not don't let Jesus down. The key for us today is that when we do let Jesus down, we should be like Peter, be like those disciples. And don't don't be like Judas. Our real test is that not, not whether we let Jesus down or not. Our real test is whether when we do, we keep running back again and again and again to the one who succeeded in our place. Our real test is not whether or not we let Jesus down. It's whether we keep running back again and again to the one who succeeded in our place. And of course, the more and more, more and more we do actually come back to Jesus, uh, the more we'll, we'll learn that he is the one worth trusting, the more we'll be in the habit of choosing to trust him, the more we'll grow in our ability to stand for him in those tough situations, the more we will be able to follow him under pressure. And Peter's a good example of this. He, he obviously let Jesus down in the story today. And it's not the last time in the Bible that he comes across as a little bit of an idiot. But throughout his life, what's clear is that Peter, slowly but surely, he does learn to trust Jesus more and more. And every time he fails, he comes back to Jesus again and again and again. He becomes more and more in the habit of repentance, of coming to Jesus for forgiveness. And throughout his life, he does learn to trust more and more and more. So much so that by the end of his life, as history records, Peter is put on trial. He's in Rome. He's put on trial for his faith. And they ask him in front of the executioner, facing death, they ask him if he stands for Jesus. And Peter says, of course I do. In fact, I'm not worthy to die like he did. Crucify me upside down. Eventually, Peter is tested under the most intense pressure of all. And later on, he does know for sure that he can trust Jesus. He's he's practiced trusting Jesus for his whole life. And yes, he's failed again and again and again too, but every time he's come back to Jesus again and again and again. What an amazing model for us as we think about what it looks like to trust Jesus, even in those tough moments. Why don't I pray for us as we finish? Our Father, we thank you this morning for this part of uh, the Bible. We thank you for those disciples and for their example to us. Not their example of being perfect or strong, but their example of being broken and and weak. Uh, We thank you, Father, because as we think about these things, we're reminded too of our weakness. Help us not to trust so much in ourselves, but in you. Help us to grow in faith and humility and trust. Help us always to remember when we do let you down, when we do fail to live your way, 
Help us to come back to you again and again and again. Thank you for Jesus, our Saviour. Thank you that he went to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. Thank you that he was motivated by love. We pray this morning in the great name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.